I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 as we continue on in a series that we started last week looking at Jesus' final words on the cross as He was laying His life down so that we may be forgiven of our sins. Jesus spoke seven times as He was there on the cross. And we looked last week at Jesus praying to the Father to forgive those who were carrying out this atrocity. And this week we're going to look at the next phrase that Jesus says. How many of you enjoy calling customer service? We laugh because it's probably one of the worst things to have to do. In fact, the detriment of calling customer service is typically the person that you're talking to can't do anything. You ever notice that? Say, here's what I need, and they say, oh, well, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to do that typically happens around the one-year contract renewal when it comes time for cable or internet or something else like that. You're looking and you say, how did my bill go up 35%? You call in and they say, oh, Mr. Kennedy, don't you know? You had a one-year contract with us. We gave you a cut rate price. And now the price goes up to what it should be. And here's the thing, I had a conversation with someone who worked in customer service and they always said to make this comment, if you are not able to help me, put me in touch with the person who has that authority. Some of you, your mind was just blown. You're like, wow, that's all I have to say. Just say, put me in touch with the person who has the authority to make this decision. And all of a sudden, you end up with, hopefully, a favorable answer, a favorable response. What we're going to see this morning in the text is Jesus making a statement to one of the criminals who was being crucified on the cross beside him that demonstrated Jesus' authority. Jesus has the authority to make the declaration that he makes in verse 43 of Luke chapter 23. I want to read the text for us this morning, and then I want us to walk back through it together. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. Your translation may say blasphemed him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me 
in paradise. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let me catch you up to speed in the text. If you weren't with us last week, don't know where we are in Luke chapter 23. At this point in time, Jesus is physically hanging on the cross. He is being crucified by the Roman government at this point in time. The Jewish religious leaders of the day didn't like Jesus and in fact had gone so far as to say he was leading a riot, he was leading an insurrection and that he needed to be punished by death. And we saw last week that the Roman governor, Pilate, had questioned Jesus and had come to the conclusion that this man was innocent. He didn't deserve to be punished by death. In fact, he really deserved to be let free. But he said to the crowd, listen, I will beat him and then I will send him on his way. And the crowd continued to yell out and to say, no, crucify him. We want him crucified. We want him punished. And Pilate said, I'm typically will release one prisoner. Would you rather me release Barabbas, a known killer, a known insurrectionist, or would you have me release Jesus? And they said, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. And so what we see taking place is that happening in Luke chapter 23. That after Jesus was beaten, after he was forced to carry his cross up to Golgotha, that they there crucified him, hung him on a tree, drove spikes through his hands and through his feet. And all the while, as we saw last week, Jesus' first statement from the cross, Jesus' first statement after experiencing the torture that was brought against him, said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We said last week that forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. That for you and for me, for them, that we are sinners who need to be forgiven of our sins. We can't do enough good. We can't be righteous enough to be forgiven of our sins. It's only by the grace of God that we can be forgiven. It is only if blood is shed to cover our sins. And Jesus, the very sinless Son of God, hung on the tree there to save us from our sins. To willingly offer to every single one of us, if we will receive it, forgiveness. We get a little more picture of what's going on at this point in the text. We know that Jesus is being crucified with two other criminals there hanging on crosses. So just picture that in your mind. Jesus, along with two criminals, we find out in the text there are two criminals who deserve to be there. We know Jesus didn't deserve to be there, but chose to be there so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. But Jesus there on the cross, hanging between two criminals. And what we're gonna see 
is how these two criminals respond to Jesus and ultimately what Jesus says in verse 43 to the one. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that'll frame our time together. It's this truth, faith is the proper response to the gospel. We said forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. We are sinners who need to be forgiven of our sins and brought in right relationship with our heavenly Father, but how do we actually do that? And the answer we'll see this morning is faith. Believing in who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf here. You know, it's interesting as we encounter in the text, verse 39, we're going to be introduced to the first criminal. And the text says that one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, that's at Jesus, or blasphemed Jesus. And this is what he said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. I want you to notice that the first criminal first reveled in his own sinfulness. You see, at this point in time, there's no remorse for him. He is hanging on a tree and he doesn't care why he's there. What we find out is the second criminal says, I know you and your reputation. You deserve to be here. You're supposed to be here. This is your just punishment for your sins. But this criminal doesn't care about his own sinfulness. He's not really worried about it at this point in time. He's not thinking as he's hanging there on the tree, you know, I actually deserve to be here. I've committed some capital offense that puts me here in this position and I should have at least some remorse. I don't know if you've ever, I always get fascinated when documentaries come out, call me a nerd, it's okay, I received that well. I was a history major in college and so that kind of stuff gets me pretty excited. But this is a little weird, I know. But if you've ever watched a documentary about a serial killer, Some of you are like, you're really getting weird now. (laughs) But many of them have zero remorse for what they've done. In fact, deep within, they are celebrating the crimes that they've committed. They could care less how many lives it took. They could care less the torture that they inflicted on other people. They're not worried about that. They are living in their sin and they're good with that. They could care less. That's where the first criminal was. Who is beside Jesus being crucified, he could care less why he was there. In fact, if you notice, one of the Criminals, the text says, railed at him. Not only did he revel in his own sinfulness, but he rejected the, dr- the truth about Jesus' identity. Now think about this. The very Son of God, the sinless, spotless Savior, was hanging on a tree right beside him, and he not only could care less about his own sinfulness, not only that, 
But he didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. Remember, at this point in time, the text has told us that Jesus had been crucified. The religious leaders had brought this accusation. He is claiming to be king of the Jews. He is claiming to be the Messiah. He is claiming to be the Savior. They'd gone so far as to put a mock sign above his cross and to claim that. This man claims to be the king of the Jews, the Messiah. This criminal beside him doesn't believe it. In fact, he questions Jesus at this point. In fact, the text says he blasphemes him. He rails at him saying, listen to this, are you not the Christ? He's not saying that seeking. He's not saying that thinking maybe he actually is. He's saying that saying, here's what you're claiming. Here's what you're saying is true about you. Is that really true? I mean, come on. Here you are hanging on a tree right beside me. Are you kidding me? There's no way that you can be the Messiah. There's no way that you can be the Christ. Isn't it funny that that's the same response that many of the religious leaders of Jesus' day had towards him? That they said about him, that's, you're, you're not the Savior. You're not the Messiah. You don't fit the picture of what we're looking for. You don't look like what we want you to look like. You're not doing what we want you to do. What did they want him to do? To overthrow the Roman government at that point? To reinstitute the Jewish society and the Jewish nation state? That's what they wanted. That's what they expected to happen. And Jesus didn't fulfill that. So they doubted. They questioned. They blasphemed him. And the same thing happens with this criminal on the cross. Not only is he not worried about his own sinfulness, but he doesn't believe Jesus is who he says he is. And then he says to him, save yourself and us. He mocks him by saying, here you are hanging on a tree. If you're really the Messiah, if you're really the Son of God, you could save us and save yourself. So not only does he revel in his own sinfulness and reject the truth about Jesus' identity, but he rails against Jesus' authority. He says, you don't have the authority to do that. If you were the Messiah, you could. If you were really the Son of God, you could come down off of that tree and you could get us off as well. If that's really what you wanted to do, you could do that. Criminal number one. Not the guy you want to meet in a back alley. And yet if you trust what God's word tells us, prior to us trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were criminal number one. In fact, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, that that was our identity. That we didn't care about our own sinfulness. We, in fact, reveled in it. We wanted it. We didn't trust who Jesus said he was. And we didn't submit to his authority. In fact, we, Paul tells us, were enemies 
of God, deserving of his wrath and his punishment. Church, if you are a follower of Jesus today, you used to be criminal number one. That was who you were. You say, Michael, I don't think I was that bad. Maybe you, like me, grew up in the church. Maybe you were saved at an early age and you kind of think, man, at eight years old, I don't know that you can do that many bad things. Some of you are like, I have an eight-year-old, pastor. (laughs) You want to babysit, right? But yeah, what we find out is the truth of our sinfulness is an infinite offense against a holy God. We were criminal number one. Some of you sitting here this morning today are still criminal number one. You have still not come to the point of recognizing your own sinfulness, recognizing that you can't save yourself from the punishment that's due against sin. You're questioning whether Jesus is who he says he is. You're wondering whether he has the authority to transform your life. Today, you're criminal number one. I want you to notice what happens. We encounter criminal number two. Beginning in verse 40. But the other, it's the other criminal, rebuked him, the first criminal, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Looking at the other criminal, criminal number two says, really? Here we are hanging on a tree. Do do you not fear God? Are you really going to sit in a position where you're just going to revel in your own sinfulness and you're going to question the identity of who the Savior is and you're going to doubt whether or not He can transform your life? Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? Notice verse 41, and I want you to notice this first truth about criminal number two. He admitted his own sinfulness. Listen to verse 41. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. Criminal number one could care less about his own sinfulness. He could care less about what he had done. Criminal number two, on the other hand, says we're here because we should be. We're here because of our own sinfulness. We're here because we broke the law in a capital way and deserve to be punished in this fashion. What a fascinating statement for him to make. Criminal number one could care less. Criminal number two, you can tell, is beginning to ask some questions. He's beginning to wonder What happens after this? Beginning to think, is there any hope for me? And he makes the statement, we deserve to be here. We're in fact receiving the reward of our deeds. He admitted 
his own sinfulness. But not only that, he believed in the truth about Jesus' identity. In opposition to the first criminal who questioned whether Jesus was the Son of God or not, this criminal makes this following statement. But this man has done nothing wrong. What we know is true about Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, fully God, fully man, that Jesus came to this earth perfectly righteous and holy and lived a perfectly righteous and holy life. He never sinned. He is the only one who can make that claim. Every single person is born a sinner, and we choose to sin, but Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, perfectly righteous and holy. And this man looks and he says, I'm a sinner, but there's something different about him. He doesn't deserve to be here. Isn't it interesting that he makes the same declaration that Pilate made? Pilate, after questioning Jesus, after hearing the evidence, says about Jesus, he doesn't deserve to be punished. I find no, listen to this, fault in him. It's the exact same thing this criminal says. This man has done nothing wrong. See, the truth is, for us to be forgiven of our sins, we need someone to pay for those sins who has never sinned. Jesus Christ is the only one who can make that claim. And at this point in time, this criminal recognizes it. His eyes are open not only to admitting his own sinfulness, but to believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the sinless, spotless Savior. Notice verse 42. Not only did he admit his own sinfulness and believe in the truth about Jesus' identity, but verse 42, he confessed Jesus as Lord. Verse 42, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The moment of faith exercised by this criminal on the cross was right there. He knew he was a sinner. He knew Jesus was a perfect savior. And he says to Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. I believe that I am a sinner who needs to be saved. I believe that you are the only one who can do that. And so when all of this is said and done and you come into your kingdom, remember me. Whereas the first criminal was not even close, this second criminal exercised faith hanging on a cross beside Jesus. I want you to notice Jesus' response in verse 43. He said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Jesus in this moment was in a position to declare what was about to happen. And we look at this and we don't say, man, Jesus is on the cross and what's going to happen? We're able to look back on that. We're able to look back and know that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead after he was crucified. We know that he conquered death and hell right there. We know that. But for this criminal who's on the cross, he's looking forward by faith, believing that Jesus has the authority to transform his life even at this last minute. And what we see Jesus say, what appears to be a position where he has very little authority. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus has all authority to forgive sin and bring us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So at this point in time, Criminal number one will die and spend eternity separated from God. But criminal number two will spend eternity with his Savior. Why? Because he trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior. I don't know if you noticed the beginning of criminal number two's response. The first three words, he admitted, he believed, he confessed. ABC. In fact, as we teach our kids what it means to respond to the message of the gospel, it's those three things. That we admit that we are a sinner who needs to be saved from our sins. Every single one of us. There's not a person that has been born with the exception of Jesus Christ who did not have a sin problem. If you don't believe that, let's put you in the threes and fours classroom on Sunday mornings. Doesn't take long to figure out that we're born sinners and we sin. But responding to the gospel, taking that step is admitting that we are a sinner who needs to be saved from our sin. Not only is it admitting that we're sinners, but it's taking the step of believing that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Believing that he is the son of God. Believing that he laid his life down on the cross, paid for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Absorbing the just punishment against sin for you and for me. Jesus did that for us. And not only believing that, but then confessing with our mouth that Jesus Christ is now Lord of our lives. Recognizing that he is the only one who has the authority to make the declaration that he made to the second criminal here hanging on a tree beside him. Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. 
if you've taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, it does not matter what may come in your life. Your eternity is secure, not because of what you've done, but because of who Jesus is. Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins as we sang about earlier, has declared you to be righteous before the Father. So that when you die, or when He returns, you will spend all eternity with Him. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads and to close your eyes with me this morning. In just a few moments, we... We're going to have the opportunity to celebrate communion together as a church family. To be able to celebrate what we are talking about here. Jesus' body broken for us. Jesus' blood shed on our behalf. But as we prepare to do that this morning, I just want to ask you a simple question. Which criminal do you most identify with? You may have come in this morning and the truth for you is maybe for the very first time you've recognized this morning that you are a sinner who needs to be saved from your sin. And you've come to the realization that Jesus is who he said he is. That what we read about today is actually true. That Jesus really did take your sin and my sin on his shoulders on the cross and paid for them. And as we talked about last week, he offers forgiveness to us. And maybe today what you need to do is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. To believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead on the third day, securing salvation for you. And today you receive that free gift. If you need to take that step this morning, right now you have an opportunity just between you and the Lord to utter a simple prayer admitting that you are a sinner, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross to save you from your sin and confessing Him as Lord of your life. If that's a step that you need to take this morning as we sing in just a little bit, I want to encourage you between you and the Lord right now to pray that prayer. 
The specific words of the prayer are not what matter. It's the posture of your heart right now before the Lord. Admitting your sinfulness. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And confessing Him as Lord of your life. Receiving that gift of salvation. If you identify with criminal number two, if you've taken that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior this morning, take just a few moments as we sing to rest in that. Sometimes in church we think we move beyond these things. And the truth is, we never graduate from the gospel. That the truths of what Jesus Christ have done, the more we grow closer with Him, more deeply impact our lives. Remind us of what we were before Him. Remind us of what He's done on our behalf. Remind us of our identity in Him, our righteousness, because of what he's done for us. Believer this morning, rest in that. Sing about that. Share that with someone else. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for what you've done during our time together. As we pause over these next few minutes and worship you through singing and then through celebrating the Lord's Supper together. If there's one here that needs to take that step, that needs to pray that prayer and trust Jesus as their Savior, would you give them the boldness to do that today? Father, for those who are believers here in this room, would you help them rest in that? Thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you that we can know for sure that our eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. And we ask that in his name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand, if you would, for just a bit. We'll sing together. Maybe you know you need to take that step this morning of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you, to encourage you. Don't let today go by. Staying in the position of criminal number one. You have the opportunity this morning of having your life transformed. Take that step today.